0: You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Today, we're going to land in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. So we're not picking up where we left off last time. If you remember last time, Paul and Barnabas were splitting, and Paul was getting ready to take his second missionary journey. Um, You guys can go ahead and put that map up on the screen. That would be great. The reason we're not going to go over Acts chapter 16 is because I preached in Acts chapter 16 on Father's Day, if you remember. So if you're new, you missed Father's Day, Father's Day. Go back and watch that sermon. Give you some details about Acts 16. But basically, here's what happens on the second missionary journey as far as geography-wise uh, with Paul. He leaves Antioch, the church in Antioch, right over here. He goes to Tarsus, Derby, Iconium, Lystra. Pretty significant things ha- thing happens in Lystra. He meets one of his future best friends, Timothy. And Timothy goes on the rest of the mission trip with him, where we get 1 and 2 Timothy that Paul wrote. Uh, He goes to Antioch, he goes to Troas, he goes to Philippi. If you remember, Paul gets thrown in jail in Philippi. That's what we preached on on Father's Day was the Philippian jailer where Paul and Silas are singing. Uh, Their chains come off. Goes to Thessalonica. Uh, This is the reason he wrote the book of Thessalonians. Then he goes to Berea. Uh, Kind of the same things happen In Thessalonica and Berea, where we've seen this pattern where Paul goes into a new city. He starts at the synagogue and preaches the gospel. Some Jews and some God-fearing Gentiles get saved, but then the religious leaders get very, very mad. And they start to persecute Paul and the disciples. And so I don't wanna be redundant and uh, uh, go over the exact same thing happening in every city. Just know that in these cities that are new cities, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, the same thing happens. And then Paul goes to Athens and we're gonna see something very interesting happen in the city of Athens today as Paul lands there. We're going to look at verses 16 through 34 in Acts chapter 17. we got a lot of teaching to do today. I don't think there's going to be as much funny stuff in preaching, but uh, there's some deep stuff. Uh, We'll get into the bulk of it in the middle of the sermon, but I think it's going to be really good and y'all can handle it. So Acts 17, we're going to start in verse 16. Y'all with me, say, I am says this, while Paul was waiting for them, them being Silas and Timothy, they were going to come a little later, so Paul goes a little early to Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So Paul goes to this place called Athens, which is still a major sightseeing city today. And even back 2,000 years ago, this was a place where people would go to look at the architecture, uh, look at the beauty of the buildings, and learn about the history of Athens. And in the first verse we look at today, we see that Paul is not looking at Athens as a sightseer, but instead he's grieved as a soul winner. Paul is not walking around going, wow, look at the architecture and look at the buildings. Paul is looking around going, whoa, these people are completely lost. Paul was not impressed with the history of the city, the importance of the city, the architecture in the city. He's blown away instead by all the false idols that are everywhere in the city. More on that later. Paul saw the man-made systems designed in Athens to pacify the hearts of men that he knew could not save them or take away their sin, and he's greatly grieved. He is upset. See, Paul couldn't turn off the spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has given him. Paul couldn't take his Christianity And put it in a box on the side so that he could enjoy a sightseeing tour. Paul is grieved and could never turn it off. I remember a few years ago, Garth Brooks uh, came to Knoxville and did a big concert at Nalen Stadium. Anybody in here remember that when Garth Brooks came to town? one of my wife and I's uh, favorite songs is a Garth Brooks song, one of our songs that we listened to when we were dating. Uh, we've been married 22 years, been together 24 years. I would say maybe 23 years. She would say 22 or 24. Or I would say 25 years. She would say 24 years. But, uh, but anyway, one of our songs, you know, the goofy thing, like this is our song, is a Garth Brooks song. And uh, some people in the church got together and blessed my wife and I with tickets to the Garth Brooks concert at Nalen Stadium on a Saturday night. And used to, before I was saved, and I talk about me because I know me best, not that I'm any better than any of you guys, I just know me best, okay? Used to, before I got saved, I think I could have went to a Garth Brooks concert and totally enjoyed the concert. Like, just went there and sung Friends in Low Places. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody like some Friends in Low Places? Sing it with me. I got friends in low places where the... Oh, I was just going to see if y'all would say it. I don't know. You know what I mean? Ain't going down till the sun comes up. Uh, I don't I don't know the name of the song, but Papa loved Mama. Much too young to feel this darn old. You know what I mean? Like those Those are some of my songs. And if you like those, that's cool. Okay, I just said that in church. It's okay to sing Friends in Low Places. And uh, But I think before I got saved, I could have really enjoyed it. But I remember going to that concert and looking around and realizing 110, 120,000 people like Really, what it was, it wasn't a concert. It was a worship service at Nalen Sanctuary. That's the biggest sanctuary in the state of Tennessee, by the way, where people worship idols like they do in Athens. Y'all know that, right? I'm not saying football's bad. I'm not saying Garth Brooks is bad. But I looked around at people as they were drunk, acting like 10 year olds. And I sat in my seat and I just prayed. And I was just like, man, people are so lost. I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't turn it off. This desire to see people get saved. This is Paul. I can relate to him. He, he can't turn his Christianity off. He lives it out 24-7, 365. It continues in verse 17. And after he's, he's distressed because of all these idols, it says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. So Paul, again, we see this formula that he has for every city he goes into, especially the first time. The first stop is always the synagogue, where Paul confronts the religious culture. The second stop is usually the marketplace, which was a common place for philosophers and entertainers to go and speak. And he really confronts the civic culture. But what you're getting ready to see is Paul's going to make a third stop in Acts. Athens. And he's essentially going to go to the political square and he's going to confront the political culture. Now, the lesson here is notice that Paul is willing to share the gospel anywhere he's invited or anywhere he sees an opportunity. Y'all see that? Anywhere he sees an opportunity. He gets invited to essentially Washington, D.C. here in just a minute, and he is going to preach the gospel. Y'all, I'm just here to tell you, If this morning uh, the Mormon church down the road that's full of lost people, by the way, we're going to do a series here in a few months called Christian or not question mark, and we're going to take a look at Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Catholicism, all these different things that like in today's culture we're unsure about. Are they Christian? Are they not Christian? We're going to unpack their theology and everything they believe and answer the question like are these Christians Christians, okay? Christians, okay? But Mormons are lost, okay, if you didn't know that, okay? And so if if you're upset by that statement, come in a few months and listen to the sermon, okay? But if I got invited to an LDS church, I'd be there in a heartbeat to share the gospel. If I got invited to a kingdom hall at a Jehovah Witness church, I'd be there in a heartbeat to share the gospel. If a satanic cult invited me to their meeting to share the gospel, y'all, And see, this is where Christians have went wrong. We've said, no, 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 we've got to stay away from the big bad world. That's not what Paul does. Paul goes in there, and he's not afraid to share the gospel. Now, next week, we're probably going to take a look at some people that tried to cast out a demon, and they got whooped by the demon. So so don't think I'm saying, don't go from A to Z on me, okay? Man, I wouldn't be preaching this morning. Pastor Brandon would be preaching. I'd be going to share the gospel with lost people. He shares the gospel Anywhere he can. Let's learn from that. In your sports team, look for opportunities to share the gospel. In your class, look for opportunities to share the gospel. At your work, look for opportunities to share the gospel. When you're hanging out with your lost family members and friends, look for opportunities to share the gospel anywhere you can. Let's take the mission of the Great Commission to lost people. Amen, Rev Church? we got to hurry. Y'all got to hurry. We're only two verses in. Okay, Verse 18, y'all still with me? Say, I am. Now, here comes the bulk of the teaching. gets a little heady here, but I do think you guys can handle this. I'm going to do the best I can uh, with some of these words that are used. Uh, For some reason, I've got like a mental block with a couple of the words that start with a D, and you'll see that. um, You ever get that, like you're reading something and you're just like, how do I say it again? Oh, I can't remember. But if y'all think you can do better, you become a preacher and start a church for yourself. Okay, amen? (laughs) Verse 18 Look who confronts him. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with Paul. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So far on Paul's missionary journeys, we've seen him come in contact with all kinds of different people. Uh, We talked about in Lystra, they were described by historians as barbarous people, former soldiers, and Paul preaches the gospel to them. Paul comes in contact, for lack of a better way of putting it, with country people, country folk, and he preaches the gospel to them. He's preached to religious people, but now Paul is getting ready to preach to intellectuals, people that are too smart for their own good, lost intellectuals. Paul is like to give a sports analogy, he's like the ultimate switch hitter when it comes to sharing the gospel with different groups of people. He can hit from the right side of the plate, the left side of the plate, behind the plate, in front of the plate. He is going to knock it out of the park. Specifically, there are two groups called the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers that Paul comes in contact with. Allow me to give you an idea of what the Epicureans believed and the Stoic philosophers believed because I believe with the Epicureans this is going to be very familiar to you. You're going to see some roots of atheism here, uh, agnosticism, and Stoic philosophy is actually making a pretty big comeback uh, today in podcasting and different things like that, and they're both wrong. So The Epicureans believed in a philosophy that was started by a guy named Epicurus Epicurus, uh, 300 years before Paul has this confrontation. They tended to follow the teachings and ideas of Aristotle, and they believed in randomness, essentially. They believed that life is a random, orderless, chaotic collision of atoms, so humans, as a result, must use their free will to shape the world to suit themselves. Uh, They believed in a pantheon of gods. When I say pantheism, I mean they believe in multiple gods. Think like Greek mythology, there's Zeus, and there's hundreds of gods. So they believed in a pantheon of gods, but they also believed that the gods did not concern themselves with humans' lives or the real world. The chief rules of Epicureanism to follow were the absence of pain and the pursuit of pleasure. In other words, we should avoid pain at all costs and pursue. Y'all see that? That's from youth. Sorry, y'all. There was, there was just some uh, confetti that fell off the lights. That's how we roll. They have youth in here. And when that happens, everybody in the whole place goes, and you quit listening to me and you watch that stuff fall. So thank you, youth people. But they believed in the absence of pain and the pursuit of pleasure. Avoid pain at all costs and pursue pleasure at all costs. What they believed about the afterlife was there was no afterlife. When you die, that's all there is. Conversely, a group that they would constantly debate with would be the Stoic philosophers. They followed a philosophy that was started by Zeno. They had a new age worldview that was a pantheist worldview. Again, they believed in many different gods, uh, but they believed that everything around you was essentially a god. They believed, and I know this is a mouthful, but just follow me because I'll try to explain it a little easier here in just a second. They believed that some things could exist apart from atoms and transcend the material. They would describe this in the Greek form of the word logos, which is where we get the word logic. And they believe that logic existing proved, listen to this, that there was a cosmic, supernatural, non-personal mind that caused the universe to operate according to predictable laws. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Essentially, they believed in intelligent design and they believed that maybe there was some kind of higher power. They believed that when you died death reunited an individual's mind with this cosmic logos or this idea of a higher power. The chief rules of Stoicism was moral sincerity, a high sense of duty, and what one theologian described as having a stiff upper lip. And that theologian, of course, was the band ACDC. Stiff upper lip. They believe that you don't let your emotions get to you, in other words. Whatever bad happens, don't worry about it. Just do the best you can. Every man and woman is in the world for themselves to control the controllables. Rid yourselves of disruptive passions, disruptive people, and distracting emotions. Essentially... What Stoics believed versus what Epicureans believed. Stoics believed you needed to endure all things. Epicureans believed you needed to enjoy all things. Does that sound familiar? Kind of some of the philosophies that we hear today? Now, that's antithetical completely to Scripture, that's you know we believe that the bible teaches you do what jesus says that there's one god that we take joy in our suffering when hard things come our way that that we go the extra mile with people we don't cut them out we turn the other cheek so those two philosophies are completely unbiblical they're totally opposite to scripture now these two camps would debate back and forth paul comes in and blows their mind with a new message so much so that one group That's listening to Paul calls him a babbler. A better translation of babbler is an idle babbler. And the Greek uh, for the word idle babbler, I use the Greek because I think it'll grab your attention, uh, is a word spermologos from two words, sperma, which means seed. Y'all know where we get our word for sperma? Everybody with me? Everybody say amen? Want me to explain it any further? Where do babies come from? Anybody? Okay. Sperma which means seed and logos which means idea and when they call him this name the picture is a seed picker that is going around picking seeds up. In other words, They insulted him in this way. They said, this guy has traveled all over the place and he's picked up and seed-picked a bunch of different ideas from different philosophies and he's just put together this crazy idea of a God, Jesus, and the resurrection and all that stuff. He's just a seed-picker that's cobbled together this philosophy. Others weren't sure what Paul was talking about and they wanted to know more and they're getting ready to invite him to one of their meetings. What we're getting ready to see is Paul, the seed picker, is going to blow their minds with the message of the gospel. Two things from what we just read in Scripture, though. Notice, number one, just real quick, that Paul preaches the same message everywhere he goes. He may use a different tactic, but he gets to the same end. It's the exact same message. When he's preaching to country people, he preaches Jesus and the resurrection. You see this? When he preaches to simple minded people, he preaches Jesus and the resurrection. When he's preaching to intellectuals, he preaches Jesus and the resurrection. When he preaches to a proconsul, he preaches Jesus and the resurrection. When he preaches to poor people, he preaches Jesus and the resurrection. The idea is is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. In other words, the way every single human being gets saved is through the power of the one gospel that Paul preaches. It does not change. Notice as well that Paul is the same person wherever he preaches. Now, I understand he said, hey, I become all things to all men, but what I mean by this is Paul does not compromise who he is or his morals in order to get across to his audience. I tell young preachers all the time, the number one rule of preaching the gospel when you feel called to be a preacher or a teacher is authenticity. People are not looking to be awed. People are looking for authenticity. They want someone that's going to be real. In other words... When you preach from a platform and proclaim God's word, you're the same person as you are when you're not on the platform and just talking to people. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because people, especially in 2022, can sniff out fake really, really quick. Really, really quick. So if you get up here and you talk different and you, you know, and I'm not saying that necessarily people that do all that is bad, but man, it turns a lot of people off because we can spot fake a mile away. You get up here and you're real serious all the time and then you're talking with people one-on-one and you cut up and you joke around. People can tell there's two different people. Y'all know all about me. Amen. I like wrestling. I like donuts. (laughs) I like UFC. I like working out. I like those things because you just got to be real. You got to be real. Not that you try to You adjust your message for who you're speaking to. I'm not saying that, but at the core of who you are, you've got to be who you are. So Paul gives the same message, and he's the same person. Let's continue in verse 19. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Then they took him, took Paul, and brought him to the meeting of, now here's the word that I've had a problem with. It's not that hard. Areopagus. I got it right the first time, y'all. Everybody say Areopagus. Yeah, one, two, three. Areopagus. Y'all got it right the first time. I, man, I had like this mental block with this word. And in the first service, there's one towards the end I don't even try to say, okay? So it took him and brought to the meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. The Areopagus is also referred to as the Hill of Ares, which was the god of war for the Greeks. The equivalent Roman god was the god Mars. So this is also known to Christians as Mars Hill. Okay, Whole churches named themselves Mars Hill. This is a pretty significant name, Mars Hill. This is where we get the name Mars Hill. And what this basically was, was as one theologian describes it, a philosophical discussion society, so to speak. Uh, this is, as another theologian puts it, the equivalent of the ancient, ancient oval office where the politicians would come together to discuss laws. It really was the center of the political world and notice Man, politics have always been the same because it says they would sit around and really do nothing but listen and debate back and forth. This is a great description of Congress today. They sit around, they talk, they make these big speeches and get their 30-second clip to put on Instagram, but they don't ever really accomplish anything, right? Is everybody with me? Amen, okay? If you're a politician in here, we love you. We love you, okay? We really, we're praying for you. We're praying for our leaders, but politics has kind of always been like this. Here Paul is confronting the political culture, preaching the gospel. He's getting ready to preach the gospel to politicians and political leaders. One person said that what you're getting ready to read because Paul is speaking to a group of intellectuals is if Paul had a TED Talk, this would be Paul's TED Talk that we're getting ready to read. Now I want you to just think about this for a moment. In Acts chapter 9... Pastor Brandon, Jeff, our rev men's minister, did an incredible job unpacking Paul's conversion story and the fact that for eight to ten years, Paul had sat on the sidelines in his hometown waiting to get into ministry. He's been on one mission trip already, and he's in the middle of his second mission trip. And if you go back and look at the sermons, yes, he adjusts them for the audience, but you can tell by reading Paul's sermons how he's grown as a preacher and an evangelist and a speaker. It's amazing to see the mind of Paul and how full of wisdom. And now we know he's full of the Holy Spirit, but he's also full of wisdom. You want to know why he's full of wisdom? Because he's a soul winner. And the book of Proverbs says, "Those who win souls are wise." If you want to learn scripture in here, you want to learn Bible in here, you want to come more versed in what God says in scripture, You know the easiest way to do that and the best way to do it? Go try to win people to Jesus. You know why? Because when you go try to win people to Jesus and you don't know a whole lot, they're going to ask you questions that you don't know the answers to, and you're going to have to go look those answers up. And there's nothing like having a lost person ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. When you go look it up and find that answer out, you will remember it for the rest of your life. Those who win souls, they're wise. Paul is wise. He's grown as a speaker. He's grown as a pastor. He's grown as an evangelist. And it's obvious when we read his sermon here. In verse 22, y'all still with me? Say amen. amen. Verse 22, it says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. So Paul starts out nice. He's, he's going to be very polite here. And he basically points out the fact that in the city of Athens, there were over 30,000 different idols and statues to different gods. All over the place. One historian said that there were more statues of the gods in Athens than all the rest of Greece put together. Another historian said that it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man in Athens. So he starts out and says, hey, you're super religious. You're searching for something, in other words. In verse 23, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. You guys are so religious, in other words, that you didn't want to miss any of the gods just in case you missed a God, and you added an altar and an idol to an unknown God. Paul is getting ready to show them that the God you don't know is the only God you need to know. That's kind of the summary of his sermon in one sense. Like the God you don't know, this unknown God, this is the only God that you need to know and the only God there is. He says, So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And then listen to this line. This is so great. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live And have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice, and look at the phrase he uses with justice by the man. He's speaking to pantheists that believe in multiple different gods. He uses the singular form, the man. There's going to be one man that judges the world. Guess who that is, Rev Church? Anybody know who he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. The man he is appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The big idea with Paul's sermon and why at this meeting it was so groundbreaking, is because the Greeks, when they talked philosophy, had things backwards. Um, We've suspected uh, for a long time that my dad is dyslexic. He's never been diagnosed with it, but um, he says things backwards sometimes, and whenever he writes something down, nobody can make out what he's writing down because he mixes things up. Uh, One time, he got pulled over in a 35, and he was going 53, and We were like, dyslexia, you got an excuse, you know what I mean? Like, y'all awake? Everybody get that one? That was pretty good right there. I'm trying to make sure you're with me, okay? The Greeks and their philosophy and their ideas about God were completely backwards. What I mean is, in Paul's sermon, he starts with God and works his way down to man. It always begins with God in the gospel. In Greek philosophy, it was the exact opposite in almost every philosophy you ever read, really, outside of the gospel. They would start with man and work their way up to God. And this is not what Paul did. In fact, one of the famous philosophers of the day, Protagoras, put it best when he summarized Greek philosophy by saying, man is the measure of all things. Anybody know the slogan for Las Vegas in the United States? What's the city slogan? Anybody know it? Shout it out if you know it. What happens in Vegas? Why do y'all know that? You know what I mean? Like, man, you need to repent. It doesn't stay there either. I want to say a lot of jokes, but I'm not going to, okay? If Athens had a slogan like Las Vegas, their slogan would be, it's all about mankind. It's all about man. We hear this exact same slogan today, all the time online, all the time from pulpits, in things like, you are enough. Take time for you. Write your own story. Live your own truth. Be who you want to be. Well, Paul's slogan is, it's all about Jesus. Paul would say, Jesus is enough. Take time for Christ. Live in God's truth. Be who Jesus made you to be. And so what he's saying is blowing their minds because they've never heard this before, really. And Paul's looking at these people, and he's saying, because of Jesus, we can seek and find God. And oh, by the way, he's not that far away from any of you. Look at the responses in verse 32. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was a member of the Areopagus. That's the one I was messing up, y'all. Does anybody know how to say it? Among them was that guy, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Three different responses to the gospel. The exact same three responses that are happening at Revolution Church today. The only three responses that anyone can have to the gospel is seen in these last few verses. Number one, there were people that dismissed the gospel. They rejected it completely. They said, I I don't need this. They had heard a lot of crazy philosophies at this political meeting. All kinds of nutso people coming in and talking about all kinds of nutso things, and they wrote Paul off as just another crazy person spouting fairy tales of a God that we can't see. The second response was people that deliberated on it. In other words, they had, a, as one, one commentator said, a tentative contemplation about the gospel. They had to think about it. If you're at Rev. Church this weekend, we've always had a lot of people that are thinking about it. You've got more questions that you want answered. You're not quite ready yet. You're at church this weekend, watched online. You're dipping your toe in. You're trying to figure out, do you want to go all in with this Christianity thing? And we're all for that. We don't want you to make a decision Uh, out of emotion we don't want you to make a decision just so we can boost our ego and say look how many people we got saved or look how many people we want it to be genuine right we want everyone that makes a decision at rev church to have their questions answered and questions are not a bad thing my caution to you would be be very careful about thinking things no pun intended to death Questions aren't bad, education's not bad, thinking of things' not bad. Being well-versed and well-studied is not bad, but there is a reason in Scripture, it talks about childlike faith, that at some point, you've got to realize all your questions are not going to be answered because we know in part in this world. and at some point, you've got to step out into the things that you don't see and you don't know, and you've got to put your trust in Jesus. I like what one person said. They said, the more you overthink, the less you will understand. Isn't that true sometimes in life? The more you overthink, the more complicated you make it, the less you understand. Thirdly, there's people that have a dependence in the gospel. In other words, they receive the gospel. There's an acceptance of the gospel. They go all in with Jesus. They surrender everything to Christ. They offer their body as a living sacrifice. These are the people that have sat in these meetings before and they've heard all these different philosophies that basically taught the exact same thing. In order to get to God, in order to reach nirvana, in order to be reunited with the Logos, in order to get to heaven, you've got to stop doing the bad things that we deem bad and start doing the good things that we deem bad. And you've got to work your way to God, work your way to happiness, work your way to joy, work your way to heaven. And if you get to the end of your life and your report card says you've got more good than you've got bad, then you can go to heaven. They've heard this. And they hear Paul saying, No, 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 no. No, listen. None of us are good. None of us. Quoting the book of Romans here that he writes to Rome, right? You know why he penned those words? None of us are good. None of us are good. None of us are good. There's no way we could work our way to heaven. We are separated from God. There was one perfect person. His name was Jesus. He was killed for our sins and his blood can cover us. And in the eyes of God, when Jesus' blood covers us, we take on his righteousness and that's how we go to heaven. That's how we find joy. That's how we find fulfillment is resting in Christ. They heard Paul say, you don't have to go through all the junk that you've been through in order to work your way back to God. No, 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 no. He's not that far from you. You turn around right where you are right now, and God is right there. He's close. And God is standing on the bridge of Jesus over all your mistakes. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. amen. Grace, mercy never heard this before. The only major religion in the world that there's ever been Christianity that preaches true grace. It's nothing you do. It's about everything that Jesus did. They hear this and they think to themselves, wow, I want to know that God. I want to know that God. Paul looks at these people And he says, and really, this preaches to us two thousand years later. And I'll say this to you today: you are not just a random collection of atoms. You were created by God for a purpose. He desires a relationship with you, and he's not that far from you. He's not that. The fact that you're here today, you're watching online shows that he's actually pursuing you. He's pursuing you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the Bible. It gives us clarity. God, God, uh, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. Those that dismiss the gospel. They've never really had a relationship with you. This is just religion to them. This is idol worship. I pray that your Holy Spirit does what I can't do, no matter how good I preach or how funny I am or how much I nag people, that uh, he starts to convict I pray for the people that are deliberating on the gospel. They, they, they're thinking about it, but man, they've never pulled the trigger. I pray for childlike faith to take that step into the unseen. And that they would realize the unseen God, the God they don't know, is the only God they need. I pray for the Christians under the sound of my voice, God, that we would be people that seek to preach this message everywhere we are. I pray for an authentic church and a real church. Not a bunch of fake people that are at a fashion show feeling like they're a part of the cool kids club. People that are genuine and want to see people come to know Christ like Paul did. I pray God for every person in this room that has put their trust in Jesus that they don't ever turn it off. They don't compartmentalize their faith. They don't go out on Friday night and leave their Christianity at home. They don't come to church on Sunday morning and leave it behind on Monday because if they do that, God, the enemy has already won. We love you, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to get together and worship you and learn from your word. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.